0: Good morning again. Hey, I'm glad to be here this morning. Uh, Hope you you guys are too, right? How many of you guys are exhausted? Because Thanksgiving was just that exhausting, right? Yeah. Uh, So we have a tradition. Our family actually meets on Saturday for Thanksgiving, uh, the week of Thanksgiving. So we're not not too far off from it. But we do wings and just chill out on Thanksgiving Day. So you're all jealous now, aren't you? Um, But... We did it all on Saturday, and Beth and I, obviously, uh, Beth's singing up here, and I'm leading uh, through preaching and getting to share God's word. We're exhausted. Um, So I'm just going to let you know now, if I start to trail off on some random story, I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. I won't. I promise. Uh, But we are glad, and and the anticipation of the season to come is exciting, right? You guys are excited about Christmas and buying all those perfect gifts for your grandkids, for your kids, for your friends, right? Everybody loves Secret Santa here, right? All right, so there's a little bit of angst during the holiday season, but there's also this great anticipation of of celebrating with each other and celebrating also some rest time, right? Some of you guys get a few weeks maybe even off or a day off at least, but you get that time of just rest and renewal. In the Advent season, we. We kind of think through these things, and here's what I want to do for a moment. I want to jog your memory of what it felt to be uh, anxiously or uh, excitedly anticipating a season. How many of you guys remember the moment you stepped off the bus for your first day of school? Or the moment your mom and dad dropped you off, they walked you to your classroom and introduced you to your teacher? How I many of you guys remember that day when you started college or you went to your apprentice school or you went to uh, some new horizon of a job and you were excited, you thought it was going to be thrilling and eventually you realized there were some complications, but you, you had this anticipation and buildup or you, how many of you were about to have your first child and you got to go paint that room you realize you painted the wrong color when you had the kid, but it's okay. Blue, blue works for girls, too. So does pink work for boys. My boys understand. Um, we wanted a girl. But anyways, you have that anticipation, and all of a sudden, it finally comes to that day. Can you imagine what they were thinking? And most of them didn't realize that day had come until after the fact. The only ones that knew that it really had happened... And was going to happen were Mary and Joseph. And finally, they made aware to the shepherds and the kings, right? The wise men. But there was this anticipation, this anxiousness of awaiting this great thing that was coming. This hope we can have in Christ. This advent. Advent's a simple word. It simply means the coming of Christ. But there's another advent coming, right? There's an advent of a return, the promise of, a, of Jesus coming back and being a conquering king and drawing us back into the heavens with him. And so we either await the day that we enter glory through death here on earth, or we await and are excited about the day where we get to enter glory with our Savior. And it's and it's a really interesting point for a church to make. It's the one thing that maybe if you're not a believer, kind of scares you. But here's the deal: this is actually not supposed to be a scary situation. This is exciting. The God of the universe has come down and says, "I love you," and I'm coming for you. I'm pursuing your heart. And if you read Scripture for all that it's worth, we do very little pursuit. He does most of the pursuit. And it's exciting as Peter, uh, he's the one guy that speaks to these exiles in foreign lands. And so at 1 Peter, and we're going to be in chapter 1, he begins to speak to these exiles and tell them about this exciting thing to come. Something to look forward to. But he's the one that gets to speak, and it's kind of interesting, right? Because if you read Acts 10, or if you're familiar with Acts 10, Peter's the guy that gets to go speak to Cornelius, one of the first Gentiles to come to know Christ. And so when he's speaking, he's not speaking out of this distant mindset. He doesn't know what these exiles are going through. He's speaking out of this compassion for them as they're walking in foreign lands, dealing with foreign laws and having to anticipate what to do in the moment of waiting. You ever thought about that you're in a foreign land? We're all American in here, right? The reality is, and what the scriptures tell us is you're sojourners. What's a sojourner? A sojourner is someone who is journeying in the life of a land they're not intended for. We are here for a temporary purpose. And God has a permanent eternity that he wants us to experience with him. Because he, I love it, in Ephesians 1, he reminds us we're adopted children by his blood. Which may freak some of you out, but that's okay. We'll explain later. But we have this great anticipation we get to look forward to. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He's an author, if you're not familiar with him. He says, if we discover the desires within us that nothing in this world can satisfy, also we should begin to wonder if perhaps we are created for another world. In this season, we can get really frustrated with life and the things that are going on and the shopping. And and for some of you, this season's rough. You're remembering the loss of a loved one. You're remembering the the sorrow of life and some things do not satisfy and nothing can fix or heal. And Lewis so graciously reminds us that maybe, just maybe we're not only intended to be here, but we're intended to be somewhere else with our savior. And if you don't know Jesus today, and you're here for the first time sitting in a row wondering why is this guy talking about Jesus coming back? That freaks me out. It doesn't have to freak you out. It doesn't have to bother you. Because he wants to come for you as well. Let's look at first Peter, first chapter one, verse thirteen. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. I want you to circle underline. That's gonna be really, really important. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last day times for the sake of you, who through him are believers believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. I know we prayed, but I want to do it one more time, guys. Father God. May your words shine brighter than my simple constructs of sentences that we remember today, that we're exiles sometimes in a foreign land. But God, you have a hope for us through Christ. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Amen. So, point number one, hope is in who? It's in Christ Christ right? There's nothing else I have to offer you today, so we can all go home. (laughs) Hope is in Christ. That's the only place you can go to. I can't give you some quirky little one-liner or anything else other than to say the biggest thing I can offer you today is that hope is in Christ, and every one of my points, if you want to go ahead and write them in, says Christ at some point, because there's only one hope, and it is in Christ, But I love what he starts out with. He says, prepare your minds for actions, for action. Now, the phrase, actually, this is going to get real awkward real quick, means gird your loins. Does anybody know what that means? Do you want to say it out loud? Me neither. Okay. Basically, what it is, is there's a thing called a loincloth, right? It covers you. It's your undergarments, let's say, right? That's the most more kosher way of saying it. Everybody agree? man. All right. You're staying with me. And so what they would do is whenever they were going into action or whenever they had to run, they would pick them up and start running, right? Because you can't, you don't want to trip over your loincloth, right? And so whenever people would go to battle, they'd do the same thing. They would have a belt and cinch it up, but that's because they wanted to be ready for action. They wanted to know what they were to do next, And so they were always prepared. They were always preparing themselves for what the next step was going to be, whether it happened or not. And so our mindset as we read this passage should be, we should be ready for action. We should be ready with the truth of God. We should be able to be ready to convey the gospel. We should consider the the. Avenues in which we could be addressed, we should be prepared by being in pursuant of knowing his word and being in community so that we know the resources that we have to offer as a community. It's the mindset that we're ready. Uh, Think of it this way. We've got great musicians here and some of you guys are great musicians. You just don't know it yet and we'd love for you to be on the worship team. But there are some of you that are here today that I could call upon you and say, hey, come play piano. Like Miss Jody, right? She's amazing, by the way. I don't know if you know this. Like she does the fill and everything. It's amazing. Woo! But anyways, I could call on Jody and I could say, "Jody, could you play this specific song? And she'd think for a minute, but then all of a sudden she'd be twinkling in the ivories. Or tickling, what is it? Anybody know? Tickling, I think. Twinkling, I guess, blinking at them. Uh, but she could, make, she could make magic out of the piano. I would sit there and I could do chopsticks, right? And so the reality is, is that she is ready at any season to be prepared to do that. We aren't gonna ask you to do that if you're watching online, Miss Jody. I'm so sorry. But she is ready. Or well, you think of it this way, some of you guys know your workload so well, you are ready. You know that when you get there, something goes wrong. There's nothing going to bother you. You are ready. For others, it's uh, the ability as like an athlete. If someone were to ask you to go into battle or go into some sense of action, you would be ready. I remember when I was in high school and college, if someone were to ask me to run a mile, I could do it. I was ready. Don't ask me today. I can run 100 feet. Exactly. For five seconds, well, no, no, not even five seconds. It's going to take me 20. (laughs) But it's about being ready. A believer, we need to have such clarity of the gospel that we are ready. That we are ready to convey it. That we are ready to give the goodness of God to someone else who needs it. And so I ask you today to set your minds for action. Then he goes on and he says, Be sober minded. What this actually means is don't let the creation of the world consume you with the influence that should actually be reserved for the creator of the world. We should not allow creation to dominate us. When we hear sober-minded, we think of, what is it to be drunk, right? But there's more to this. There are other ways that we can be drunk on life. We can be drunk with money. We can be consumed with our popularity or our position. And so the, the idea that I wanna give you here today is don't let your laziness keep you from readiness. Don't let the ambition of your self success blind you from gospel success. Don't let the desire of your flesh guide your eyes. Don't let your yearning for popularity lead you to gossip the reality is what do we need we need to let christ dwell so deeply in us that out of the out of the heart the mouth will speak jesus and so we've got to ready ourselves we've got to be sober minded so that we're not allowing the creation of the world to take over for where the creator wants to pour out of us life and goodness and graciousness are you sober minded today Are you ready? Do you know the gospel? Do you know the truths about God that can encourage others? I got challenged this week. I'm actually working on a class that I'm working through. And one of the challenges was to remind me, do I know God's word well enough that I can spit it out to someone else? That I can convey it in the moment of of trouble and desperation. Is there a way that I can be a comfort when people are uncomfortable? And it was such a rich challenge, but it reminded me that I need to be richly indwelled with Christ in his word. Not because it's going to force me to look good, but because I think out of him spending time with me, he's going to work the flesh out of me and begin to work me towards the reality of who he is to where I'm completely, totally surrendered and dependent on him. So the challenge for us today is It's not just about are you sober minded Or are you, is you, are you prepared for action It is are you surrendered to God So he can put you in the position of action As he continues He does say this wonderful word And the whole word that we're using today is hope He says set your hope Or when one commentator says fix your hope To actually adjust it in the position of pointing it towards Christ. He says, Fix your hope. See, there's hope and then there's faith, right? But there's a distinction between the two. This commentator makes this point. He says, The major difference between the two attitudes is that faith involves trusting God in the present, whereas hope is future faith (coughs) of trusting God with what is to come. It's not a reserved hope, but it is a wholehearted hope. Are you looking forward to what's to come? Or does it scare you? Are we enjoying the world a little too much? We're not yearning for and eager about Jesus coming back? I'm not saying that we need to be, oh, let's just get out of here. Everything's a mess. I no, no, no. I yearn for Jesus to come back because I want to know and be with him. Now I love the day where we can spread the gospel so wide and so far that that so many people know it, that we've done everything we possibly can. But I still yearn for the day I get to see Christ. I still desire it. I still yearn for the moment where I get to be held in his arms and loved. I'm already loved, but I'm reminded of that love, being in his presence. See, a lot of us, we're a little reserved. Maybe we get reserved because the political climate begins to change. So all of a sudden, we're not excited about the world around us. We're not excited about the potential of what God has left us to do here, but we're concerned we get wrapped up in our concern more than we get wrapped up in the yearning or eagerness for Christ. Maybe it's an employment adjustment that throws you off. Maybe it's a family dynamic issue you're dealing with today. Something is consistently throwing you off and you have no joy because you are not yearning or desiring Christ's return. You're just frustrated with the moment. Maybe it's a pandemic or war. We get so frustrated over what eventually, when we look back from eternity, are small things. And what we want to remember today and what Peter is reminding them today is look forward to Christ's return. You got to experience the advent of Christ coming for the first time, but look forward to Christ's return. And while you're looking forward to it, you haven't, you know that it's a good thing. So anything here that happens, yeah. In the long term of eternity, not such a big deal. So, if we ever had to go back in our homes and we have to squ- squinch in, right, and we have to be around our, our significant others for 24 hours, seven days a week, wearing masks, we shouldn't be bothered. We might be a little concerned for the health and well being of others, but we shouldn't be bothered. When war strikes, I mean, what would we do if we were the ones that Russia was addressing right now? How would we respond? How would we respond with the the torment of a family issue? Are we still excited about the fact that, hey, this is temporary, Christ is returning, things are going to be good, things are already good because we know there is a promise coming. Don't allow the dynamics of today to be the problems of tomorrow. Allow yourselves to celebrate what is about to happen with Christ's return. Allow it to motivate you. In fact, in Hebrews 9.28, they use this word of eagerly. He says, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are waiting for him. He's coming for you that should put everything else at ease to a point yes you're going to struggle and you're going to deal with things and things are going to be hard but remember they're temporary and there's a christ that will eventually come and bring you comfort so that brings me to the next point if there was a therefore i could put into this i would therefore set your hope on the grace brought by the revelation of christ Do you remember the original revelation of Christ? It's the good news, right? The gospel. We've talked about this for a few weeks. I love going back over this. The core facts of the gospel. One is Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He lived a perfect life. He could do that for us. Death could not hold him. He was sinless. And therefore, Jesus bodily rose from the dead. I should get amens from you, Baptists, that are out there if you're still there. (laughs) Presbyterians, you can stay nice and silent if you want. That's cool. Pentecostals, raise your arms. All right? It's exciting news. We get the gospel. We get the gospel. It should motivate us every day. Pandemic, who cares? I got the gospel. I got trouble in my family. We're working through it, but I got the gospel. There's a war. I got the gospel. Does grace motivate you to do things that are grace-filled? Are you doing things that you are called to? Are you uh, reaching out to your neighbors and friends with the gospel? When things come up and you are trying to disciple your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your family, do Do you get motivated by the gospel instead of motivated by the dynamics of what's going on in the moment? Everything I hope I do with my kids when I raise them is motivated by the gospel. If I teach them to honor their mama, which is rule number one in our house, next to honor God, then I make sure my kids understand, here's why. Because if you look back to the gospel, Levi or Liam, Michaela, then you will see that everything Jesus did was to honor his father in heaven. If you look back to the gospel, then everything he did to the obedience of death on a cross was to honor his father in heaven. And so the gospel motivates me to do what I do. The grace I have that I do not deserve is what motivates me to be kinder and gentler. To live out the fruit of the Spirit. To actually surrender myself to the Holy Spirit. To be crucified in Christ because I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It is no longer Mike Bard, but it's Jesus that I hope you see. If you've ever had a bad interaction with me, I got in the way. If you've had a good interaction with me, then I got out of the way. And Jesus is completely showing you goodness. And so today I challenge you guys to be reminded that it's the grace that motivates you. That's what Peter is trying to tell you. Allow the gospel to convey to you what is good, what is right. And after the gospel does that, people will want to what? Have the gospel. Grace is not motivating you like the carrot in the stick, right? The carrot is the motivation of Hey, I've got something for you to eat. The stick is the thing that's watching on the back to keep motivating you and disciplining you. You No, it's quite opposite. Grace removes the stick and replaces the carrot with an ice cream cone. You get something you completely and totally don't deserve. And it's amazing. So that's why we can, as Christ says, and as Peter says, Christ is holy, so we should be holy. I mean, you feel holy though, let's be honest, not many of us. But if we're, we're believing that Jesus is at the center of our life, that we are no longer, that Christ lives, we no longer live, we are holy because of him. And we can live set apart because of him. A lot of our fleshly problems, a lot of the reasons why we're getting in the way is because we care about something deeply, something more than we care about Christ. Even though we believe in Christ, the reality is we still have idols. It's either money, it's our time, it's our energy, it's our space, it's our position. Somewhere in your life, in my life, we have idols. And the best way to get rid of idols is not to walk up to the line and identify them right away. Sometimes the best way to get rid of idols is focus your attention so far on Christ you can't even see him anymore that you know the word of God so well, that you are so focused on who Jesus is, that you are so engulfed with Christ that when an idol comes up and other people are failing to, to submit themselves to Christ to submit themselves to this idol, you're just walking forward and they're like, what's up with that guy? That's where we want everyone at Coastal to be is that we're so focused on our attention to who Jesus is. Everybody looks to say, man, where, where's their idols they don't have any they only have christ they keep running to this god that's where peter's trying to get them and he's consistently reminding them so we're holy because we don't want to be conformed to the fat passions of our former ignorance at one point before you were saved there was some ignorance that you went through right there were some things you did that you're like i can't believe i did that and so it's much like Romans 12:2, right? Do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. So when we chase after the will of God, when we chase after Christ, we have this promise that we will be able to discern what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. With renewal, it always is tough, isn't it? With renewal, when we were to renew a bathroom or a kitchen, right? Sometimes when we see it for the first time, we're like, we have to pull out these yellow cabinets. (laughs) It's it's like a mess. So all we think about is destruction. But the best way to renew our minds is to focus on the plans and to see where we're going rather than what we're leaving behind. I love this with Paul, 1 Corinthians six eleven. He's at this point with the Corinthians where they're just battling. They're battling to stay out of sin. And so he lists all these sins. And then he does this wonderful thing. And he says, much were some of you. Like it was a past thing. And how many of you guys know about Corinthians? It wasn't a past thing. But Paul is saying, you're no longer who you were. You've passed. You're supposed to be past this. I, because you have Christ, you are past this. Because he says this. He says, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If we are chasing after our past sins, I want to remind you today that you are justified. You were washed. You were sanctified. You are in the presence of Christ. He dwells with you. It's a powerful reminder. See, Peter's addressing the people very specifically. He refers to their exile status. They're not in their home. They're actually among rulers that are not their own, and they're among foreign laws. He goes on to remind them, hey, 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 fear God over what man can do to you. Fear translates over to respect throughout scripture. And so he's like, respect God, focus your attention on him. And here's the deal, guys. Laws today, they're they're basically the bottom rung, right? They're the bottom rung. Most of us could go by every day and not break a law, except maybe speeding. But let's face it, we could all probably not speed. Like, they're the bottom rung. It's not hard to obey the law, at least not now. Now, when we come into persecution, it might be harder. But right now, it's the bottom rung. And so what Peter's saying is, hey, why you live in those exile lands? Be respectful. Remember, even Jesus said, give Caesar what's Caesar's. I'm going to focus on my journey and my job. And so I encourage you guys that realize that it's really the bottom rung. You don't have to worry about the law at this point. There are moments where it's coming into play. It's the bottom rung. But even with sensitive subjects, and I'm going to mention one, like abortion, we can still teach the gospel and convey it in a way that we can say life is valued by God. don't have to agree we don't have to step forth and encourage someone to do that action we can we can actually give them gospel reasons not to and where society is going is they're trying to bottom out the rung everything's available and what peter is saying is you're going through these lands and you're living in exile just know and understand that you can still have faith in god that you're not restricted by the laws of men And even when the laws of men put us in prison and they jail us for our faith, we're still not restricted, are we? Because we have the goodness of God with us at all times. Because when when Paul was restricted is when he got his best work done. When Jesus was restricted was when he got his best work done. Think about that. I love this. I'm just going to reiterate this verse again. Knowing that you were ransomed for the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, was made manifest in the last days and times for your sake. I love Christ dies on the cross, right? I hate that that had to happen, but I love why it happened. See, Christ did not sin. He was the only one that could go. He didn't have spot or blemish. He was the perfect sacrificial lamb. Yet, we were the ones that deserved the debt to pay. He was not flawed. He always had the right words. He always had the right direction. He's not taken back by anyone's opinion. Christ was the perfect sacrifice because he did not sin i love what what god reminds us of in second corinthians 521 god made him who had no sin to be the sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of god see what jesus does for us going back to the holy part right so he makes us holy that's the only reason why you're holy. It's not because of what you do. It's not because of what you accomplish. You are holy because he makes you holy. So be holy. Be holy. The last part I want to convey is this. Christ is eternal. Right? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. It's referring back to Christ in John 1.1. Before new or foreknown before the foundation of the world. I love that Peter brings that up. That's brought up multiple times in scripture. Through Christ, believers are in God, right? Through Christ, our faith and hope is in God. Nothing is unknown or new to Christ. You are not surprising him with your sin and you're not surprising him with your accomplishments. He's not detained by our time or constrained by our human will. He has an eternal mindset, and his hope for us is that we would not live in our flesh. Romans 8 says this, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. There's a promise for you, yea? But if you, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He moves down, uh, Romans 8, verse 18, and says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation wails with eager longing to the revealing of the sons of God. He's coming back. Woo! This good stuff. I want to leave you with a little bit of a, story here, a parable, if you will. It's not a biblical parable, um, but I think it'll, it'll make the point. One day a farmer saw an egg that had fallen in the forest. He took the egg, and he placed it with his chickens. When the egg opened, it was an eagle, but the eagle remained with the chickens. The mother chicken treated him like the other chickens, and so he resembled the others. One day an owl swooped down and told the eagle he was not a chicken, but the eagle refused to believe him. The owl finally insisted the eagle get on his back and go with him up into the heavens. They flew so high, the eagle began to complain and become concerned. Sound familiar? He insisted the owl let him down, so he did. The owl maneuvered himself in such a way the eagle fell off his back and plummeted towards the earth. The eagle squawked, hoping the owl would save him, but the owl just responded with a simple suggestion Open your wings. The eagle opened his wings and began to soar, now seeing the world from an extremely new perspective. He was not a chicken. He was an eagle, one of the largest birds in all creation, one of the largest birds of the air. There's a lot of times, folks, where all we're thinking about is the immediate. And we don't have that 30,000 foot view where we can see the entire earth and the big perspective of God. But when you're in Christ, you get that view. His scripture lays it out for you. You get that view because community helps you to interpret it. You get that view because God decided to enter the world years and years ago and bring about hope. The Emmanuel, the God with us. And there is coming a day when we will all, right, be in heaven or we will all be with Jesus because that's really heaven, right? Heaven ain't heaven without Jesus. be able to celebrate together not just us but the church the Presbyterians, Pentecostals are coming I promise you the Baptists are coming they're all coming it's going to be crazy, it's going to be weird at first but you get used to it real quick here's the deal guys have an eternal mindset so you are of earthly good A lot of people have reversed that. They've said, ah, you have such an eternal mindset, you're of no earthly good. But the reality is, I pray you have an eternal mindset because there's comfort in that. When you have that comfort, you are able to convey the earthly good that is the gospel. And so today your challenge is this, would you please have an eternal mindset so you can be of earthly good? You guys have such a great hope that is Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Peter. Thank you that he was so willing to write this down and to remind the exiles in foreign lands of how good and gracious and eternal you are. So God, as we worship one last time this morning i want us to be reminded that there's a greater eternity coming ahead and it's with you so god thank you thank you thank you for your grace your love your mercy and your truth in jesus name